Howdy folks, welcome to Found Flicks. On this ending explained, we're checking out The Outwaters, where an excursion to the desert turns creepy when a group of campers start to experience unexplained things. It all builds to a blood-soaked night that changes everything, sending the foursome on a mind-bending trip through terror. The Outwaters is another viral sensation that came on the back of Skinamarink, and there are certainly some stylistic similarities, namely the lo-fi imagery and found footage presentation, but Outwaters is a more traditional found footage movie and indeed has even been declared this generation's Blair Witch Project. I'm like, what does that mean? It is found footage, but that's about it. Anyway, as it goes for the typical found footage flick, there is a lot of buildup. The story is presented over three discovered SD cards, and the first two are especially grating. We have to sit through mundane nonsense for so long, constantly leaving us wondering, why are you recording this? Not in an, oh, the ghost is chasing us, why are you still holding the camera sense? But like, there is nothing happening here. Why are you even wasting the minimal digital bits required to capture this? Like a dude swims around for a while and then dunks a leaf in the water and you're like why are you making me watch this it's maybe like two minutes of the whole movie that all changes however when card three finally rolls around and things go into a much more surprising and complicated direction it's almost a kitchen sink approach of throwing things to see what sticks from portals to hell deadly tentacles and even some time loops but somehow it still works and makes the overall experience much more worthwhile leaving us wondering in the end what the heck actually did happen. While much is left intentionally vague, there is also a lot to piece together from what we are given. So let's check out The Outwaters, breaking down the story's many vague aspects, including just what's going down in the desert and explaining the ending. We learn that the entirety of our crew went missing back in August of 2017. Their fates are currently unknown as we hear their panicked call to 911. Initially, it's only screaming and muttering voices heard until another male voice croaks quite tellingly, it's okay, it's already happened. The responder keeps trying to get them to talk back as the high-pitched screaming continues. Did you see it? Someone asks, already implying something sinister going on out in the desert. It actually wasn't until several years later that their SD cards were discovered by the local police department, and what we are about to watch is their three cards assembled in chronological order. They definitely could have trimmed that down as, you know, not much is going on at first. Hopeful filmmaker Robbie is celebrating his brother Scott's birthday, gifting him a new backpack complete with one of their pop's old hiking bandanas. There's another gift from their mother as well, a kind of surfer shell necklace, and Scott isn't too sure what to think. There must be some distance between Scott and his mom, as later Robbie encourages him to give her a call. Tell her you like the necklace. We don't ever find out what the rift is about exactly, but it is definitely there. Sometime in the night, an earthquake rumbles the building, but soon passes. The whole guise of their trip is to film a video for their singer friend Michelle. She belts out a folky lullaby. Hushabye, don't you cry, she sings breathily. She gets emotional and has to take a moment before launching into another off-key take. She then starts rambling randomly about how all the drugs you do get stored in your spine and they think that getting some acid for the desert would be a great idea. They play back her performance to no reaction whatsoever. Robbie compliments her, saying that she sounds just like her mother. This must be a touchy subject for Michelle, revealing that she used to sing that song to her as a child and begins to get choked up. Presumably she recently passed and Michelle is still struggling with her grief. 
Not sure what the point of all that is, but you know. They take a flight out to California, hearing the flight attendant droning on their instructions to the passengers. Robbie pays a surprise visit to his mom, who is totally shocked and overwhelmed to see him. She gives him a big embrace, but asks him to stop filming, as she doesn't look good, and grumbles about how Scotty never comes to visit. He's just right outside and decides to hang back smoking reefer with their other makeup artist pal, Ange. I guess it's their mom's birthday, too. He has a cake for her and asks her to make a wish. She does so and blows out the candles. He takes another flight, going right over the desert, and Robbie starts to hum the lullaby. He phones Ange to discuss details about the music video. They're going for a kind of bohemian hippie sort of look. Ange spills that she's never actually been to the desert before or anything like that at all. She's excited, thinking that it will be magical and beautiful. Eh, not exactly. The brothers puff on cigars in a poor attempt to look cool, and Robbie remarks that he looks like their dad and that he had a dream about him last night. Scott stays mum, and he encourages him to call their mom again. She misses you. He still says nothing, puffing away on his stogie and coughing his head off. Michelle is over the moon that they're doing her video, calling it like a dream. They try out some different poses, joking about using crimpers to burn her hair. They put on some more folk music, and she twirls around the room, which she finds amazing. Yeah, pretty impressive spinning there. They're interrupted by another violent earthquake that knocks over objects and shatters glass. Robbie pops outside, hearing sirens in the distance. Fucking Los Angeles, he groans. Tell me about it. Robbie talks to his mother, being informed that she's sick, but he's distracted by something and says he has to go, both exchanging I love yous. Thunder crackles in the sky, leading to a downpour of rain. The group all rabble rouse for the evening, discussing things like Angie's incred marriage, or how professional Robbie looks while he's guzzling booze. Don't forget the most important piece of kit by a wide margin, the solar spot, which he waves around the dark room. He strobes it right onto Ange as they party down, her smirking, I'm a star. It's time to hit the road in the morning after cooling off in the fridge first. They stop for a nice mountain view, and Ange is nervous. She's never been this high before. Well, it's no Jersey Shore, Robbie cackles. They head back on the road, singing along with the radio and waving their hands out the window like some sort of teenage coming of age story. After some time, the radio gets garbled momentarily. They pull over to get some more footage and throw some rocks. Fun! Scott takes over the camera and films some more random crap. Do we really need to roll on all of this stuff? They randomly venture into a dark cave, hearing strange chittering noises. They giddily descend deeper into the dark catacombs. And then Angie starts getting freaked out. There's a sudden burst of dramatic opera music as they drive through another dark tunnel. The world now appears upside down as the sun starts to set. Robbie greets the others in the morning, and he is digging the view, beaming that he doesn't ever want to leave. Well, you may just get your wish there, bud. They go for a dip in the water and shoot some more absolutely pointless footage. And we're on to card two. Definitely could have skipped that first one entirely. Well, a few things do come back later. Really tiny things. They stop to film the girls in more poses with a street sign. They then drive further, now on a janky dirt road, and officially are out in the desert. They are stopped in their path by a gang of roaming donkeys, which they find quite rude. Scott walks after them and easily chases them out of their path. They arrive at their chosen destination, uh, apparently. Seems like just some random ass spot in the middle of nowhere. The girls hike on, flanked with umbrellas, and the guys do all the heavy lifting. Scott keeps pointing to something, but we don't ever see what it is exactly. They find a suitable spot and set up camp, and it seems like it's a pretty lax filming schedule, as Rob tells them they aren't even shooting until tomorrow. So what to do in the meantime? Film Michelle singing using Rox's instruments? Absolutely! She launches into the same stupid lullaby, and Robbie joins in. Now it's a real jamboree. Robbie wanders off to a dry lake bed and finds a piece of a skull lodged there in a plant. He takes a handful of sand and lets the hearty wind blow it all away. It continues howling, and he spots someone 
one dressed in red off in the distance? He doesn't seem too bothered, really, returning to the others to pick some outfits for Michelle. They take some more footage as he directs her through more various poses. And he mentions again that she looks like her mom, and naturally Michelle gets emotional again. Yeah, stop bringing it up, dude. She asks for a hug, and the wind starts really whistling. Robbie notices something sticking out of the top of a hill. He goes in for a closer inspection, seeing it's an axe. This is awesome, he proclaims to no one. Scott takes over camera duties, filming his bro fiddling with his audio equipment, which you would not need in any capacity for shooting a music video. And it's funny too, because he just gets like a shitload of wind on the recording. So, you know, not even remotely helpful at all. Though he does capture something interesting that night. <laughs> they hear a crowd of coyotes howling, followed by an ominous sharp boom. They start coming more frequently and more distinct. Scott unzips the tent flap and the wind rises. Robbie encourages him to check it out. Scott steps out and he puts the solar spot painfully right into his eyes. They try to identify the sound, agreeing that it certainly ain't no plane. The booms are joined by odd whooshes that really start to get to Ange, saying that every hair on her body is sticking up. The strange noises persist as the group travels through the darkness. Michelle thinks she knows where the sound is coming from, asking him to turn the light off. They come to a weird animal burrow, and Ange is still freaking out. Robbie, on the other hand, finds all this awesome. There's an even louder thunder crack that spooks Ange. She's fed up. She came here to do hair, not all this crazy crap. Robbie is drawn to the ground, spotting a swarm of ants crawling all over the place. There's a droning noise, and he comes to another blinking light opposite him in the dark. Looks just like his light, though. So someone else loves solar spots, just like me and everybody else get him a ring. When he points his light back, he gets blipped to the daytime, and if it's not too apparent yet, he has been teleported through some kind of vortex that can move him in both space and time. Yep, that's just how it goes out in the desert. At the camp, Ange is more than ready to leave, plus Michelle has been crying about her dead mom all night on top of everything else. She scolds him for not having any kind of plan and accuses him of being selfish. He only thought about himself. Robbie is more preoccupied with that light that he saw. He saw it and it was like it folded in on itself, making a rip, an actual tear in space and time right in front of him. Well, there you go, ripping space time. Figured it out pretty quick there, Robbie. But what to do, I guess? What to do about that? He ascends some rocks and buries his microphone into a hole, hearing horrific screeching feedback. It gives way to strange choral music before abruptly cutting off only to return louder and more distorted. This makes it start to feel like this particular area has special properties as though there is an energy emanating from within the earth. When shooting more with Michelle, Robbie finds something that backs this up, feeling a current running under the sand, even hearing a kind of humming sound. They dismiss the noises from the night before as just being amplified by there being no other sounds. It was just stupid old thunder. It really looks like the area is completely charged with electricity, Robbie noticing that the camera battery has not gone down at all. They feel the ground again, even hearing the humming emanating from below. Michelle spills about a dream she had about her mom. She was coming out of a black storm, and her arms were a part of the storm. It was like she was reaching for her, all these hands reaching for her, which was suffocating. He chuckles that he had weird dreams too. They finally do some filming for the video, but it's too dang windy. She starts singing to no backing track. Yeah, good luck matching that up later. And the wind is so loud that you can't even hear her at all. Worth it! They get some more shots of her walking towards the horizon, hearing strange water gurgling under the surface. She does some more spins and the bubbles overtake the scene. There's what sounds like the ping of a sonar, along with a helicopter whirring above. It's replaced by disturbing wailing and metal clanging, which is pretty weird. Oh, card three already! Ah, yeah, I really didn't need either of those earlier ones. Now it's finally time for the good stuff. Well, more for anything to happen, really. Trying to get some sleep, the reverberating Boom's return. Scott again goes to check it out, but finds nothing. Robbie wants to see for himself, panning the solar spot all around the darkness to more booming. 
we can barely make out anything in the near pinhole of light, seeing what looks like a jacket or something in the distance. He clicks off the light and pans up to the horizon, seeing that that figure is back, wielding the axe now. Robbie calls out hello to them nervously, asking, who is that? We hear quickly shuffling footsteps, followed by a meaty squish and moaning from Rob, meaning that whoever that dude was just killed him. A boom explodes, and we see a crack of flickering light. He's blipped back to the others in the tent, confused by what's going on. There's blood dripping, and he tries to rouse his brother, seeing Robbie's hands are also covered in blood. The tent is ripped open, and several more stabs are heard. It's really hard to make out what happens exactly beyond a lot of screaming. We hear Robbie scrambling steps in heavy breath, and Michelle starts crying in anguish for her mommy, and begins to cough and hack. Oh, please, she begs, followed by more tortured screams. No, she shrieks. Meanwhile, all we can see is a blurry little pinhole spot the whole time. There's another boom, and Robbie follows the girl sounds, along with trails of blood on the ground. He continues stomping and whimpering in the dark, coming to someone covered in blood, attacking someone else. It's Anne, screeching, what is happening? Also covered in blood. He tries to calm her down, and the sound becomes distorted. Is he coming? She cries, and starts screaming insanely. Oh, it hurts. She pleads to not leave me, and there's another garbled boom. This time, he's teleported to the morning, nestled in a cave all by himself. He heaves himself out of the hole, hearing flesh squelching. He is covered in blood, and weakly says hello to no one. It seems that the weirdness is starting to get to him, as he cackles insanely and films his shadow dancing on the ground. If there was any question something definitely otherworldly is going on here, he encounters a weird tentacle creature that screeches by. He hoofs it out of there, hearing them still shrieking behind him. He finds another indefinite mass of flesh. As he gets closer, he's suddenly back on the ground, hearing the worms scuttling by. He bends down and reaches for it, only for it to slither away. He stumbles on a blood-soaked flashlight, first giving it a few cursory taps before retrieving it. The booms are back in full effect, and Robbie replaces it on the ground, telling someone, I'm sorry, repeatedly. Hmm, who are you sorry for? He reaches his hand out and is booped into what looks like the tent with blood stains all over the tarp. There's even pools of blood and blankets all over the ground, spotting Michelle's telltale blonde hair among the redness. He shuts off the light and is blipped again. He now hears his mother's voice calling for him, and Robbie strips down to the nude. Mom says that she's upset and hasn't heard from the brothers in days. Plus, she had a horrible dream. She's so worried, stressing for him to call her immediately. I found it, Robbie proclaims, blood dripping from his hand. A creature screams right between his feet. Night falls, and we're back to the pinhole light of doom, with Robbie losing his sense of who he is at this point. Who am I? He breathlessly chants. Robbie, he tries to remind himself. Branches snap, and he turns back, pleading for someone to help him. He loses himself again, crying, who am I, over and over. He peers up to the ridge and pans over, seeing the axe-wielding dude is back. He then turns the camera lens on himself, looking crazed and covered in crusty blood. He continues aimlessly wandering around and bumps right into the man. He heaves for him to go away. Oh, now we can barely make out are his legs as they slowly approach Robbie. He discovers another flesh pile, and he places a few rocks on top along with some sand, almost like a burial of sorts, assuring himself it's okay after doing so. He's back to his feet, shakily walking in the dark, hearing rocks and stones falling around him. He finds himself inside another cave, finding more bloody mess all over the place. There's another blinking light waiting for him, along with an angelic singing voice. The lights start to dance around, only making out the outline of his hands. There's an otherworldly screeching, and the light consumes him. He's launched through a spiraling tunnel. There's flashes of red, and then he's thrown into a blood-stained body of water. Robbie sloshes his way through the poorly defined area, seeing more of those wormy squirmy guys down here too. Something's heart beats rhythmically in his ears, making out some light just above the surface. An owl hoots, and the tear-through of light is back. He 
he's teleported outside, immediately vomiting up an alarming amount of blood. He stares curiously at his feet, appearing almost that they are covered in an outer casing. He starts tugging at the flesh and sheds an entire skin of sorts from his body. Ugh. A worm pops up and things are all upside down again, Robbie running futilely in the oblivion of the desert. As he runs on, he has an encounter that brings just what the hell is happening further into focus. He bumps into what is definitely the group back when they first arrived in the Mojave several days ago with the umbrellas and everything. He shouts out for them, but they don't hear him. We also remember that Scott saw something at that point, and from their perspective, we see there's a small dust devil standing in his place. It's clear that he has been getting teleported around in space and time, but now we are seeing an actual time loop emerging as well. He follows several cracks in the earth and comes to Michelle dressed in red. As he tries to get closer, she runs off. He chases after, sobbing, yet no matter how fast he runs, he can't ever manage to reach her, getting more blubbering and emotional. Come back, he cries to no avail, and Michelle falls to the ground. He makes it to her body, only for upside down Michelle to run off again. He retrieves the camera, hearing that sonar pinging again. She keeps running, now following her perspective, as she is attempting to flee from Robbie. There's a quick flash, and he's back in the desert, and then back in the cave. Did you see it? He inquires. The same thing heard in that opening 911 call. He holds his hand under the light, still strobing and covered in blood. He reaches towards the flickering light ahead. There's a high-pitched screech, and he's transported once more, hearing Michelle cooing her lullaby. Back with the pinhole light, you still can't see shit, but it looks like their tent after the violent rampage. He eyes around the tent, and the sonar returns. There's blood all over the place, and Michelle carries on singing. Scott rises up, staring back at them, a sort of replay of that moment when they first heard the booms. They ask if he hears anything, as the subtitles describe a vortex swirls outside. Clears that up. Don't go, Robbie urges, and his bro does so anyway. Michelle laughs weirdly, and the tent keeps flapping in the wind. He pans over to Ange, her complaining that she doesn't want to be here anymore. Robbie starts to pray to God to give him strength. Well, might as well. A voice calls out for Robbie, and he steps out of the tent, appearing in his mother's house. He darts the pinhole around the walls, again seeing maybe 10% of the screen at a time, and Robbie continues praying. Oh my God. We hear his mom violently sobbing, and she's covered in blood too for some reason. She's still excited that he's home. She's missed him so much. What happened to you, she wonders, and is remiss. She can't find Scott. Robbie looks into a mirror, and the light takes over. He's back in a dark environment, and sees his brother staring at him through a window, as though in an airplane. The attendant recites their spiel as we heard before, and the vortex continues swirling intensely. Robbie tells him that he's sorry, and places his hand on the window. I love you, he sobs. The plane whirs, the engine roars, and then fades completely into the blackness. I'm sorry I killed you, Scotty! He's back with a ripple of light, and a frightening figure appears, asking for her baby. There's another whoosh, and he blips from the lights. Outside, the woman declares, we're alive. The light returns, and he's yoinked back through several more. It's all around us. Where is my daughter, the figure demands. This sure sounds like what Michelle was dreaming about, but I'm not sure if this is actually her mother or something more sinister. He's back to listlessly walking the desert, and it really seems the earth itself is alive in a way. As it looks like the blood is actually going into the cracks, seeping into it, and we hear that heartbeat again, which could actually be whatever force or entity is living under the ground. He peers up to a bloody naked man that wanders off. He attempts to follow after, and Robbie starts getting upset, which gives way to more screaming and terror. He then has another alarmingly obscure encounter, running into what sounds like a massive creature of some kind, but again, we can't see anything beyond some shining blood on random surfaces. Sure sounds like a big creature guy. Loud footsteps move closer, and a creature inquisitively snorts at him. It lets out a demonic squeal, and another creature answers the call, meaning there's more than one of these things out here, whatever the hell it is. He then hears what sounds 
sounds like it eating someone, and then it growls just inches from his face. Robbie flees into the sand and pops up back in the tent, the vortex still there swirling. He enters and is brought right back where he was. Ange is over the edge, hearing creatures chittering just outside. The tent is ripped open, and Ange howls. We hear screaming, guts being ripped open and everything, but all we can see is disconnected chaos and glimpses of horrifying violence. Ange, for some reason, starts sensually rubbing herself, and the worm creatures emerge, launching at them. They wrap tightly around his legs until his bones start to crack. Another one shows up and appears to uh, pleasure Ange, hearing her moaning in bizarre delight. She's seen smiling now and gives him a demented look back. Oh, okay. Robbie understandably starts to pray again, and undeterred, Ange continues rubbing the blood all over her body. Thanks. The light of the vortex overtakes him again, and Robbie finds himself being levitated just above the ground, hovering quite strangely just over it, as though he is being guided to a specific place. The flashlight clicks on, along with the booms and the distinct sound of a ticking clock. The clicking comes to a stop, and a voice growls to show them. Well, now we know for sure with a ticking clock and everything, how time can be manipulated here. And as for who is this mysterious blood-soaked killer of Robbie and his friends? Why, it's Robbie himself, of course, being coerced by some kind of demon to be driven mad and sent to violence. He's plunged into an ocean, hearing people screaming, and he's sucked back into the desert's red-tinged body of water. The heart beating is also back, and he splashes his way around the water, making it to the surface and the vortex's light. He's thrown through the blinking tunnel and is brought to a field of light swirling all around him. The vortex whooshes, and he's launched further. An unearthly music takes over, and he momentarily, peacefully floats through the lights. He then gets spun and swirled another way, blurry lights cascading in the void of space. It gets more intense, flinging him all around, and then goes silent. He's thrust through the vortex and uncovers a restricted access sign buried in the dirt. Well, too bad you didn't see that a couple days ago. Wonder why it was restricted? Hmm, perhaps the hell portal underneath? Yeah. Probably that. Robbie switches lights and comes face to face with himself, crouched and wielding the axe. He tells himself hello several times. I'm he, he says with mild conviction. His double groans and attacks him. Robbie runs off and is suddenly still running at the break of dawn. He's forced to face the horrifying reality of what he's done, coming to three sticks poking out, each with his friend's head on top. Day comes and he still hasn't moved on from the grotesque display, just three heads chilling in the desert. Robbie begins to sing to himself in a disconnected tone. La la la. When you wake, you shall have all the pretty horses. That's Michelle's lullaby again. He goes in for a closer look at their mangled visages, wishing Michelle a fond goodbye. He continues his never-ending looping trek and finds a tooth to his delight. He starts cutting at himself, and yep, he went right for chopping his own dick off. Okay, fair enough. He then takes the tooth and rubs it along his stomach, disemboweling himself. It feels as though he is purposefully torturing himself rather than just a quick death, you know. I mean, he went right for his dick. First thing, you know, whoa, that's pretty serious. He trudges onwards with his intestines hanging out. Yeah, pretty sure that's supposed to go on the inside. He gargles and collapses to the ground, but nope, he's not done yet. He collects his organs, stumbling through the dirt. A plane is heard passing overhead, and he reaches out for help, but yeah, it's way too late for that. Obviously, there is a ton left ambiguous in the story, and each element I feel like needs to be addressed. We know for sure that Robbie was driven to madness and bloodlust by some kind of entity out in the 
desert, resulting in him killing his friends and himself in a way, and also that time is in flux in this particular spot in the desert, due potentially to those strange energy properties we saw. This is what allows Robbie to become his own murderer. Time doesn't work normally here. The kind of paradox doesn't seem to matter. This is what the bloodbath that we saw a few times at the tent was, and in his madness, Robbie actually has no idea what he's done. Through weird sorts of visions, he tries to reconcile with his actions. First with Michelle, endlessly chasing her across the desert, but he can't ever catch up. Then there's his brother, seen on an airplane. He again feels guilty for causing his demise, and does try to say sorry and goodbye, but it's taken away from him. It's only when he's confronted with their heads that he fully realizes what he has done. It's after coming to terms with his horrifying actions that he feels it is necessary for him to not only die, but suffer for what he did. And what he did certainly fits the bill. Yeesh! All that is clear at least, but then there's all these other weirder aspects like the electrical properties and behaviors. They feel the energy reverberating from the ground, plus Robbie's battery never drains, indicating the earth itself is emanating energy. The best example of this peculiarity, perhaps, is that there is no 911 call scene, despite that opening the whole film. We don't even see them trying to use a phone once, once they get to the desert. Yet we hear the gang all freaking out, but also discussing seeing something, and this has happened already, alluding to the time looping at the very top. But it's also that perhaps it's the electricity of the call that we're hearing in a sense. It's almost like despite them being stuck in this weird time vortex thing, there are these brief breaks or glimpses into the real world through the veil. Things perhaps like the sonar pinging or the helicopter noises would back this up. Perhaps what they are hearing is the rescue team searching for them outside of the boundary of the weird area where they are trapped. It must also be these same particular properties that have created this rip in time and space, which makes us think of the group's ending fates. There's no mention of the police finding bodies or anything. I mean, they could definitely find that head display from a chopper. So it seems that the foursome has been trapped here forever in this weird desert vortex, and they are in a sense excised from this plane of reality for good. Wow, definitely picked the wrong spot to film your little music video, eh? Right, so we got all that sorted, but then there's the monsters. There's the little worm guys, but then there's also some kind of larger creatures that are all potentially connected to some kind of main brain in those red waters. We heard the heartbeat and everything, and it almost makes it seem like it wants Robbie to kill everyone in order to feast on their blood. And there definitely is some kind of force manipulating his actions. Perhaps this entity has come forth into our world thanks to the rip, or maybe was already here the whole time, waiting for anyone foolish enough to stumble into its vortex to hell and back. That brings us to the conclusion of this ending explained for The Outwaters. Don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. Oh, and hey, check it out, we got merch now. If you wanna get your hands on your own sick little Foundflix shirt, check the store link right below where I'm sitting. What did you think of the Outwaters and all the madness? What are your theories on what goes down? Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Found Flicks. See you next time.